My name is Emmy, uh, one of the people who preach here occasionally. Let's begin this morning as we should always with prayer. Oh God, you are the one who sees us. Search us, oh God, and know our hearts. Test us and know our thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. For you are the one who seeks us out, who saves us, the one who calls us near and washes us white as snow. Use your word to shape us this morning, Lord, to make us more like you. Amen. We are in our sermon series on Luke, and today we are going to be talking about Zacchaeus. If you've been in church a long time, uh, or if you spent a lot of time in Sunday school when you were younger, you've probably heard of Zacchaeus. Kind of a quirky story, kind of a memorable name. Uh, one of the catchiest Bible story jingles. I bet you can guess what has been stuck in my head all week. <laughs> but if Zacchaeus is new to you, let me give you a little sing-along introduction. Feel free to join in if you want to relive your Sunday school days with me here. It goes like this. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down. For I'm going to your house today, for I'm going to your house today. It's a very nice job, everyone. Give yourselves a round of applause. <laughs> it's a fun little song, kind of an earworm. Captures the main details of the story. Decent little Sunday school ditty, right? Wrong. Let me tell you why. First of all, it's been stuck in my head all, day, all week, so I recognize that this is coming through a, a bit of annoyance, but <laughs> I've heard it a lot. So that's number one. Number two, it doesn't really tell us anything about who Zacchaeus is. The song tells us more about his height than his role as chief tax collector. Guess which fact is more important to the story? And also, Side note, his height, the note about his height could refer to Jesus being short rather than Zacchaeus. Who knows? Anyways, third reason. It only really covers half of the story. Leaves out Zacchaeus' response of repentance and Jesus' summary of his ministry and identity. And I think if we don't see Zacchaeus clearly, if we don't know this story well, we won't see Jesus clearly here either. So let's get the whole story. Luke 19, one through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was very rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was short in nature. So Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see Jesus because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the tree, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. 
So Zacchaeus hurried down and was happy to welcome Jesus. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. We start out this story in Jericho, the gateway to the promised land, to Jerusalem, where Jesus is headed. Jericho is near the southern end of the Jordan Valley, just north of the Dead Sea, and is to this day the lowest city in the world more than 800 feet below sea level. Because it's so low and gravity and everything, water collects there, so it's an oasis. It's also the oldest city in the world and the longest continuously occupied city in the world. It was kind of a big deal and remains one. It was a major crossroads and economic center, the most important pit stop for travelers coming either from the east across the Jordan River or from the north from parts of Galilee on their way to Jerusalem. And this is the path that Jesus is on. Jericho is the final step on his way to Jerusalem, the gateway to the final days of his life. As you might imagine, Jericho was a wealthy city, like rich, rich the home of uber-wealthy people, the vacation home of rulers. Herod built a winter palace there. But where there is ridiculous, unimaginable wealth, there is also abject poverty. Money and the drive for more of it is never kind to people. The people who lose the money and the people who make it. In the chapter immediately before this story, we see Jesus' encounter with a blind beggar at the city gates. Someone pushed to the margins, excluded from the prosperity of the city. This contrast is important. And the fact that it comes right before this story is key, so just keep that in mind. This is the Jericho that is home to Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector of the city. So to understand just how rich that makes him, we have to understand a little bit more about Rome's tax system. The Roman Empire wanted to extract as much wealth as possible from its colonized territories. They came up with a devious, ingenious way to do this, leaving the messy business of actually collecting the taxes to the local people, thereby creating division within the community itself. And the empire was already hated. The Romans often didn't know the culture, the customs, the language. So it worked out for them to work with local people who would, for a handsome profit, collect taxes for them. They sought out people who would compromise their integrity and betray their community for the chance to build wealth. Tax collectors. And I think we have a bit of a skewed perception of tax collectors from, script from scripture. It seems to me in our human evaluation of the spectrum of good to evil, we often think of tax collectors 
kind of on par with white lies. Like, they're bad, but they're not that bad. After all, tax collectors show up 24 times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not John. They're kind of a common character, and half the time they end up redeemed. A pastor uh, I listen to says that we kind of think of them as cool sinners. Like, they're not good people, but they're kind of fun people to hang out with. One of Jesus' own disciples, Matthew, had been a tax collector. How bad could they really be? Well, pretty bad, turns out. The Roman tax system did not attract kind, compassionate, or moral individuals. Aspiring tax collectors would look at their community and say, I think I can get $100,000, dollars $300,000 $300, of tax re re revenue out of this town, this village. Rome would choose the person with the highest bid, the highest estimate, and hire that tax collector. So they are then on the hook for $300,000. As long as Rome got that flat rate, they didn't care how it was done, who the money was taken from, or how much was actually collected. It wasn't regulated by Rome or monitored by any other authority except the tax collector himself. This was a system that Rome created to be abused for their benefit. So what kind of individuals became tax collectors? Opportunists, prepared to engage in the extortion of their own people. Individuals who had won a bid to squeeze the most money possible out of their own community for taxes and were ready to take extra for themselves. They weren't just mean accountants. Think more organized crime bosses. One source I read described them as tough, violent, dangerous men who were among the most ostracized because they were among the most feared. And Zacchaeus is chief among them. He won the bid to collect taxes from one of the richest cities, and he made himself rich from it. He was successful. This context paints a bit of a different picture than the Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, right? <laughs> this is a man who has chased wealth and power and proximity to empire, and he succeeded. And it is true that he is also one of the tax collectors that gets redeemed, one of the villains turned good guy because of Jesus. But if we do not understand the kind of man that Zacchaeus was, power-hungry, greedy, a threat to his community, we will not understand how drastic and meaningful his repentance was. So now at this point in Jesus's three years of ministry, nearing the end, Jesus has built up a bit of a reputation, and it precedes him on the way to Jericho. Everyone is curious about this maybe Messiah, this rabbi whose teachings are unexpected, striking, convicting. We come to the story with context from Luke 7 and 5 that Jesus is known also to be a friend to tax collectors and sinners. I think this catches Zacchaeus's attention. Zacchaeus, a man likely of many cronies and very few friends. So Zacchaeus is curious. 
but he doesn't plan to meet Jesus. He doesn't wield his power to try and arrange a meeting. He just wants to catch a glimpse of the rabbi. He's probably heard rumors about Jesus' thoughts about how difficult it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. We read about that in just the previous chapter, Luke 18. He probably doesn't have much hope that the kingdom that is being proclaimed is open to him. But he's curious, so he decides to climb a tree to be able to see over the crowd since they've blocked his view. Rich and feared though he may be, we get the sense that in the eyes of his Jewish compatriots, Zacchaeus's smallness is more than physical. His community does not respect him. I can imagine the people in the crowd pretending not to see or hear him, ignoring him in a way that won't be met with retribution. Maybe you know what that's like, that weird social ostracization that is too subtle to confront, but it makes you feel really small. Zacchaeus is a bad guy, but I think he's also deeply, profoundly lonely. And I think this, especially because of how gratefully he responds to Jesus's offer of connection. So if at this point you're not sure if you should hate Zacchaeus or feel bad for him or resonate with him, that's good. Confusion is usually the start of compassion. When someone does not fit into the box that we expect, we start to look a little closer. So Zacchaeus is up in a tree trying to get a better view. And if you've ever climbed up a tree, you know it's not the most dignified endeavor, especially not as an adult. And Zacchaeus doesn't care. He doesn't intend to be seen anyways. But Jesus sees him, looks up at him, calls him by name. And I imagine that must have been a bit of a humbling moment for a man who is evidently so concerned with power and status. Zacchaeus, perched up in a tree, not intending to be noticed, is called out and called down by the Lord who sees him. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. The use of must here, this imperative that expresses necessity, it's almost an I am destined to stay with you. This is a common phrasing pattern in Luke's gospel, and it's used to communicate the inevitability of the kingdom, the unstoppable unfolding of God's salvation and redemption of his creation. And Zacchaeus probably didn't understand all of these lofty implications when Jesus said that to him, but he understands this. Jesus has just acknowledged him, and he does not avert his eyes or look on him with disdain. He sees him and calls him by name and decides to hang out with him. And in that moment, Zacchaeus realizes that being seen and included by the Savior is more valuable than all the wealth he has accumulated, more important than all the power that he sought. So he hurries down, he tumbles out of that tree, and rejoicing, he welcomes Jesus. 
And the song doesn't mention this at all. This is the turning point of the story. This is a moment of profound transformation for Zacchaeus. Not a peep from the song. This happens in the presence of the crowd, all of whom hate him. And they grumble at Jesus' choice of host. How could Jesus associate himself with someone so selfish, so black-hearted? I think they forget or they don't know that the Messiah is the one who comes to wash us white as snow. And they forget Jesus' message that all who repent and believe are welcome in the kingdom. Interestingly, Zacchaeus's name means innocent, pure-hearted. This is the name that he was given at birth, perhaps foreshadowing who he was meant to be, who he will be because of Jesus. And we see the fruits of his transformation immediately. Standing before Jesus in the midst of the crowd, Zacchaeus vows to give half of his possessions to the poor and pay back four times as much to those he has defrauded, which, that's a lot of people. This is both an act of repentance and an act of faith. We don't see Zacchaeus asking for mercy, detailing his many sins and pleading for forgiveness. Instead, we see that he acknowledges his wrongdoing by pursuing restitution, by seeking to make it right. He makes this vow to Jesus in the presence of the crowd, who are sure to hold him accountable. Zacchaeus' repentance was not weeping and remorse, it was action. He does not just revel in being seen by Jesus, he responds to that gift of mercy, of connection, of inclusion, of salvation with action. Jesus honors Zacchaeus with his presence and his attention with an offer of salvation, and, Jesus, and Zacchaeus honors Jesus by recognizing him as the one with authority. He gives up his own desire for power, wealth, and status. He gives up most of his power, wealth, and status. He understands that being seen and included by the Savior is more valuable. That the salvation that Jesus offers the kingdom that he is ushering in is more precious than anything he could gain from the world. So Jesus names him as a son of Abraham, lost and now found. In some ways, this story is meant to recall to us the story of the prodigal son and the mercy the father bestows on one who doesn't deserve it. Zacchaeus' story tells us, Zacchaeus' story just tells us a little bit more about the response that we should have to that grace. It makes me think of that, the verse in Romans 2 that asks us, do you, do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God does not force us into obedience. He welcomes us into grace, into transformation. Now, the story of Zacchaeus follows the story of Jesus' encounter with the blind beggar at the city gates, a story of mercy and healing that we heard about last week. 
These two stories are meant to be read side by side. These are the last two, essentially, miracles that Jesus performs before he reaches Jerusalem. A miracle of restored sight and a miracle of a transformed heart. These stories are the final characterization Jesus gives us of the kingdom that he proclaims before he goes to Jerusalem and ushers that kingdom in. He offers salvation to a man lost in blindness and poverty and to a man lost in wealth and corruption. With this, Jesus tells us who he has come for. The ones at the bottom and the ones at the top who put them there. That feels like a hard truth to swallow. The least and the lost and everyone in between. The person in your life you think is most deserving of love and the person you think God could never love. Maybe that's even how you see yourself. But Jesus says, that all who repent and believe are welcome in the kingdom. Hear this as a promise and a blessing. All who accept the gift of salvation are washed white as snow. The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. So let these words transform you, strengthen you, and inspire you to action. Because the most powerful invitation to the kingdom of God is the loving, compassionate, and selfless action of God's people. As you have been seen and included and loved, do the same to those around you.